You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and at the moment, various different guests joining me most of the time, sometimes on my own, but most of the time. And by popular demand, I've actually invited Adam Nicholson, my husband, back on. He did one with me just before Christmas about our New Year's resolutions. And I've got him to come back today because one of the things that we both feel passionately about here is the use of our own wood or certainly British grown wood in the garden. One of the rules I've had here, to be honest, initially on aesthetic grounds, is that I really didn't want to use bamboo canes here and import them from the other side of the world for our staking for growing our beans and our sweet peas. And so 30 years ago, when I first started making the garden, I actually used hazel poles for our sweet peas and silver birch for tea peas and chestnut stakes for slightly chunkier things where we're making bigger arches and stuff. So we've both kind of gone on thinking about and looking into how you can use our own grown wood or locally harvested wood in the garden rather than importing it because it feels better in terms of sustainability But also, of course, it is better in terms of wildlife and biodiversity. So Adam is our leading expert on this. Is he so? At Perch Hill, he is. Well, that's nice. That's a first. (laughs) Our leading expert. Our leading expert, yeah. Well, in an exceptionally local sense, I would say. I know more than the dogs. (laughs) Probably not, actually. you do know. So first of all, Why is it better to use our own local wood rather than bamboo canes? I mean, what can you add to what I've said? Well, I think the first thing is that they are incredibly, the different kinds of wood that you can get really pretty easily are very, very good in the garden. They kind of really do the job. So your birch tops, for example, you know, their pliability, that twistability, the kind of weavability of them can make a kind of lovely teepee nest almost, isn't it? It's kind of obelisk nest for things to grow up. And it's almost as if that was intended to do that. Yeah. And if, if I can just butt in there, which is... Not for at the this, first time. At this time of year, when the sap is rising, now is the time that you want to get this harvested And there are actually lots of websites that you can even type in like your postcode and it'll tell you a local woodsman that will give you access to this stuff. Because the key thing with the stuff that we're going to go on talking about through this episode is that normally it's quite bulky, so it's quite expensive to transport. So if you can actually go and get it locally, then it isn't expensive and it's much more sustainable. But the key time to get it is in the next two or three months because the sap has been rising from the root up the branch and is making it pliable, which makes it weavable and like willow. So with silver birch, if you harvested it in summer, it would break immediately. It would be very brittle. But if you harvest well, silver birch... Well, it would be birch, more brittle. I don't think it would be utterly brittle. It would okay. be more brittle. Yeah. And the other thing about birch is that it is a pioneer tree. You know, the birches would have been the first trees that arrived here after the 
ice age, they come to ground that is let go. They've got their, they're massively seedy. Right. And so to use birch is not in any way to do damage because they, they spring up. You let a bit of ground go here and it will have birches on within a year. So, uh, you know, that's very good too, isn't it? You know, there is no, almost no environmental cost to using them. You know, they are, it's an absolutely environmentally neutral thing to do. The other thing people use it for is brooms. Yes. Because of that kind of springy, brushy quality to the kind of outer, the outermost twigs of the thing. So you just get a, a bunch of that, tie that to a big solid pole maybe a hazel pole yes and you make a fantastic are they called besoms yeah they are bosoms uh, no not bosoms but besoms but yeah and they are of course used for those scary scary jumps in things like the grand national well right yeah, is grand yeah. national a jumping one i always get confused by the jumping yeah. races anyway i'm our world's leading expert on racing as well <laughs> as you know <laughs> Maybe not. But anyway, they are springy because, of course, if they were solid, it would break the horse's leg as they would. And so they need to have that spring and that sort of bounciness to them so that if a horse's leg brushes over them or hoof rather, it won't cause any damage. So yeah. you're right. So use use birch where you can and just get, get on the websites and, and you will find it. It's everywhere. And we talked about hazel just then. And so hazel is obviously and always has been really ever since you know there's people definitely cut hazel and grew hazels and coppice hazels three and a half thousand years ago in this country you know they found the cut stools and they found the stubs of hazels that have clearly been cut mm. uh, so it's been a kind of human companion forever mm. i mean it's as close a thing to us as a, as a sheep or, or a cow you know it is one of our kind of friend plants, hazel. But people do, I know. And I remember when I first, you first took me into a, a wood. Admittedly, it was coppice chestnut, which we'll come on to. But I said, oh, I find this really upsetting because the guy's chopping down the trees. And you said, no, 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 he isn't. He's coppicing the trees. So coppicing he- the trees. I mean, it's, that's just like the French word, coupe. It's just cutting them. And because they're designed to resist browsers and grazers, mm. you know, that's all designed, you know, evolved. Evolved to, to it, yeah. So that, you know, if something hurts these trees, they will spring up again from the root, the, the stool, as it's called. And the, and the stuff which, which springs up, it always used to be called in this part of the world, the spring. It was not a spring, not as a time of year, but the actual new shoots that emerge. And so all around here, this is... You know, this was the great iron-making um, part of England before the 18th century. All the all the guns that were used to shoot at the Armada were made round here. And they were made with charcoal from these woods. Mm. And these woods, you know, you can look in the record, you know, the records down in Lewis in the record office, there are absolutely stuffed full of deals being made to called buy the wood, mm. which is never buying the wood, what we would call a buying the wood like a piece mm. of land, but buy the growth. And usually it's 13, 14, 15 years growth. It's something like that. Oh, uh, yes, so yes, yeah. That's the cycle. You cut it every 13 or 14. Well, that's when you get a good chunky bit of, yes. of whatever it is that you, you, you then want to make into charcoal to, for, the, for the furnaces. So 
there is a kind of weird sort of fittedness between that length of time. So you leave a wood to grow for 13 or 14 years. Yeah. With much of this wood, it's not true of birch, which rots much earlier, but with much of this wood, that is about the time yes. it lasts in, in the, the garden, garden. Yeah, mysteriously. Yeah, yeah. And so you can have an absolutely steady pattern of, of cutting, use, regrowth, cutting, use, regrowth. And obviously, you know, as it regrows, apart from anything else, it mops up carbon. You know, that is a carbon mop. It- well, that's the thing I wanted to bring up because, of course, by coppicing, again, a lot of people will be anxious that the carbon dioxide is not being absorbed in the same way. But I think I'm right that by coppicing, you then produce the actual leaf cover is bigger from a newly coppiced stool as it grows back because it's more actively growing rather than a single stem tree, say. I think that is, there's a lot of chat about exactly this at the moment, about right. whether which absorbs more carbon. Is it a big old, big old, big standing yes. tree? Which, which isn't, you know, you look at that oak right there, it's just yes. an absolutely enormous thing. And it's, it's incredible the amount, if you cut that down, I mean, you couldn't coppice uh, an ancient oak like that. After oaks are 60 or 70 years old, they won't re They won't reshoot. No. So you can't do it to a big old tree. You have to have a young tree that is being used to being coppiced every few years. And there's a big debate about whether the new shoots suck up more or whether the big old tree does. And I think it's coming down, I'm afraid, on the big old tree. Uh, But it's definitely better than uh, bamboos from Taiwan. Well, the other reason it's better is, again, I remember walking through the wood with you, actually. It was at Sissinghurst, um, which I have to say I passionately recommend as a walk through a coppice woodland. The National Trust woods at Sissinghurst are really spectacularly beautiful from sort of um, when this is coming out, kind of mid to late Feb, right the way through until the bluebells come in uh, towards the end of April. But the point is that by doing the coppicing, you are allowing the sun the light to reach the woodland floor and you germinate a huge amount of wildflower seed from foxgloves in the shadier spots into red campion, but also wood anemones, you know, all the bulb carpenters are spurred into growth and you suddenly see this amazing flush of flowers. And I know obviously wooden anemones and bluebells are markers of ancient woodland, but the colonizers like the campions, uh, red and white, and foxgloves are not. And you get much greater pollinator activity in that understory of the wood from coppicing than without. Yes, I think that bluebells don't mind the constant shade because actually they, they're going now. You know, if you walk in the wood yes. now and scrape away the autumn leaves, they're there, they're yeah. all there. And so I think that they are already, uh, they're leafing up now and they're getting, they're getting the machine going now. So and they beat the leaf cover. Yes. And yes. I think garlic, uh, wild garlic yes. does as well. But I think anem- wood anemones do flower more in an unleafed wood. Yes, they need the, the, the So the they spur need the sun because the they're slightly later, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, well, they vary, but yeah. Aren't yeah. They? Is that right? They need dapple shade. So they're, they're, you would rarely see them in an evergreen. Well, you, I mean, as we all know, that's the trouble with the plantations is that dead, the, no. the, the floweriness is, is, I mean, reduced to a fraction uh, of what you get in a hardwood deciduous woodland. 
Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, so just talking about chestnut then for me, yeah. you say that chestnut, there are huge, huge acreages of chestnut in, in this part of the world because they were very good for hop poles. Yes, of course. And in, when the hop boom happened, when the railways came and the London breweries wanted uh, Kentish and Sussex hops, uh, huge numbers of uh, hop gardens were made with these tall poles on which the wires were trained. And so yeah. a kind of 15-year growth of a chestnut gives you almost exactly a standing hop pole. So they were perfect for that. You know, I mean, the good thing about it is that there's no need to chemicalize a chestnut post. Mm. A chestnut post has something in it afraid I don't know, being the expert. Well, it must exactly be a what sort of, it is. The sap is <laughs> or particularly something, something resistant. Yeah. So that if you put a chestnut pole in the ground, unlike a softwood pole, you don't have to tannalize it, chemicalize it to make it resistant to rot. You know that the rot always happens just at that junction of the earth and the air where there is a varying condition. It's not constantly wet and it's not constantly dry. And so you always find that pole, those soft wood poles break off just at ground level don't yeah. you but the chestnut has this in it yeah. which resists that and it will last 15 i mean uh we've only ever used chestnut for the fencing on the farm here and they are lasting 15 18 years now which is fantastic yeah so you know you have a long lasting thing from here you know from your local wood non-chemicalized it looks lovely and the place in which it grows generates this marvellous kind of multi-floored life of itself and all the understory and the woodland flowers. I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah. And I heard on, on Radio 4 the other day, and you and I were talking about it, that there's just been a recent study, which is that in terms of the program, that we, the, the, the subject that we talked about on the last episode when we were together, which is carbon sequestration, that woodland now is emerging as actually having 75% more effective uh, sequestration than was ever thought before because they've done this, this study, which is actually 3D of all the trees in a wood. And in fact, once you've got all the tiny twigs and leaves and everything, it's actually 75% more than they thought. And will you talk about that a little bit? Well, that is, I'm afraid, the thing to do with the big tree. Okay, yeah, yeah. That the big tree mops it up in a way that a coppiced uh, stool, with its, even with its spring, does not. And so it's slightly against this. Well, no, uh, but it's a mixed woodland idea, isn't it? That you've got your oak tree, as they do at Sissinghurst, episodically, periodically through a wood with an understory. Yes, that's coppice. right. So you have what they call oak standards that maybe will grow there for 120 years conventionally until you harvested them. But underneath it, you have this rolling program of 15 years of chestnut. And so it's an incredibly well-devised system. I, mean, I remember reading the other day that an acre of chestnut uh, coppice wood will produce a mile of fencing. Wow. You know, yeah. so it's fantastically economical as well. If you think, you know, a small acre and that an entire farm could be fenced from a single acre of wood. And will last 15 years then. And will last 15 years. And the other the other thing about it, I mean, this is something really to think about, uh, you know, for woodland management, is that if you cut a wood down there and these new sprouts are coming out from the stools, 
they're extremely vulnerable to deer mm. grazing. And if a deer graze off the the new shoots, then that will kill the stool, actually kill the whole plant, and the thing won't ever grow again. So it's important to make sure you protect the shoots against the deer. And what they used to do, uh, which I think there's no reason why one shouldn't do it now, is to get what around here they called the spray, which is all the very uh, twiggy top. top bits of the thing, mm. and make big mounded fences mm. around the stools so that the deer couldn't get at them yes. until by the time they had rotted away, yes. the things, things were up, up. And, and free. I mean, it... It's so ingenious, isn't it? Yeah, Don't yeah. you think? Well, the the kind it. of integration of people and place and plant and use is, you know, is miraculous. I suppose I'm thinking that there are certain people that will be listening to this who perhaps live in a city or a town and they're thinking, what on earth has this got to do with me? <laughs> <I know. laughs> but, but, but what I feel is we are all interested in looking after our environment. So it doesn't just have to be kind of local. But, but also it's just the thing of, as we come into spring, there is nowhere lovelier than going for a walk, you know, at this time of year. And so in the summer, it might be the seaside to, to go for a walk. But as winter turns to spring and spring moves into summer, all over that whole time, March, April and May, there is nowhere more rewarding to go for a walk than a wood. And as you're doing it, you just sort of think all the time. It's like, look at this absolutely humming biodiversity richness that is going on in this place. Yes, and, you know, if the uh, city gardens can use the products of these woodlands, which is absolutely no reason why and not. And allotments, of course. And allotments, then, you know, that, that's got to be, to, that integration of things has got to be good, hasn't it? One thing we didn't talk about, the hazel, was making uh, one's own fences, woven fences, mm. and like little mini hurdles or or Anita Dates. here has made sort of nests basket nests for potatoes, hasn't she? Yeah. yeah. Don't talk about that. Well, yeah, so we we try and not use plastic here anymore at all, certainly not single use plastic. So if ever we can for anything, we will try and use wood. And so just like in the greenhouse right now, we've got some early sweet peas growing and they're growing up with hazel uprights which take the weight but then incredibly lovely woven sort of lace work almost uh, screens from the hazel tops so we haven't wasted anything and then there's silver birch teepees woven for machicana sweet pea which we try and force early here all our edge boards here are now made from chestnut we have little picket fences here that are from cleave chestnut so they're split in four so it makes it even more economical and sustainable and so we don't use any wire here at all apart from unfortunately uh, we have to have the lower layer because we do have a big rabbit problem here so there is a lower layer of chicken wire on some of the fences here so you know arches we make from hazel uprights and silver birch, because it's more bendy, or uh, willow. What about willow? Yes, yeah. so, well, let's talk a bit about willow. We haven't mentioned willow. Because willow is, especially if you have a damp bit in the garden, incredibly quick growing. It's the quickest of everything. It just absolutely roars, roars up. And I remember there's a famous old Sussex saying that if you plant a willow, it'll, or plant like an acre of willow, It'll it'll buy you a horse 
before another kind of tree would even buy you a saddle. <laughs> yeah, very good. Because there's so it's... much of it, yeah. so quick. And so so that's kind of rather exciting about Willow, that you can, you know, you get a kind of something quite big quite quickly and you can obviously coppice it and it makes these lovely willowy wands which you can weave into all kinds of structures and arches and all the rest of it. Yeah. But there's an issue with willow, isn't there? There is. So the thing with willow on heavy soil like we have here, so when I started gardening, when the children were tiny, I made them little patches so that they could grow their own flowers and veg. And they both wanted these little woven willow fences around them, or maybe I suggested they did. Anyway, they all, of course, rooted and turned into willow trees. So we suddenly had a glade of willows in the middle of the garden. And that's lovely if you want to make living structures and, you know, a willow house and everything. But unfortunately, in, when it's bang in the middle of the garden, it's not so lovely. So we ended up experimenting with how to contain our willow and get it not to root. And what we found is that if we actually bark the willow, obviously where it's underground, but also unfortunately it has to be about six inches, uh, 15 centimetres above ground level, because what we found is otherwise willow is completely capable of putting down a long route that reaches down to soil level and then it will form a plant and it senses the moisture in the soil. So you need to actually take the outer layer of bark off with a sharp knife. Well, do you know what this process is called? Strip the willow. Strip the willow. That's what that dance is all about. Everybody always used to strip the willow because unstripped willow roots and you end up living in a willow wood. And what, the dance going dwiddly, twiddly, twiddly, that's surely weaving the willow. Well, it probably is. Strip the willow and then the, weave the willow. The widdly, widdly, widdly bit. <laughs> you know where you're I'll leave turning. that up to you. <laughs> well, I think that's a perfectly good place to finish. So, so basically what we're saying is wood is very, very good in the garden. Hazel for your posts that will last about five years. A chestnut for your stakes that will last 15 years. Silver birch and willow for your bendy bits, so your arches, which only, to be honest, last a year to two years. We find it gets pretty fragile after that. And so for teepees, willow, but it's got to be stripped and or silver birch, and they make fantastic teepees. So that is certainly how we use it all the way around the garden. And people notice it here. It just merges much better into the whole place where we're surrounded by woodland than a bamboo cane, which is kind of shine. Although, of course, we actually grow our own Phyllostachys nigra here, and we do have some of our own bamboo because it's a non-invasive variety. But I, I just couldn't more passionately advocate at this time of year, if you're a gardener, thinking about using these locally grown coppice woodland products throughout your garden. Well, thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I hope you'll come back again soon. I live here. Thanks for listening to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. I hope you enjoyed listening to Adam and I chatting about coppicing and the importance of using British grown wood in our gardens and what a lovely thing it can add and be. And next week I'm joined by, or rejoined actually, by somebody who I had on the podcast in the early days, Rachel Siegfried, who's got a new book out on the best woody perennials and shrubs to grow for picking. So I'm really looking forward to chatting to Rachel about her recommendations in her new book. So see you then.
You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com.